Today is September 8th. This is Verses and Flow. I'm Jennifer. Welcome in and welcome back. It's Friday and I am ready to swing. Pick up my girls on Hit the Party scene tonight. Oh, it's all right because I'm talking about a different kind of party, y'all. A party celebrating the beauty and mystery of the Word of God because you know this is how we do it at Verses and Flow. Now, if you were from where I'm from, then you would know that I got to get mine in a what? A big black truck, but you can get yours in a six for whatever it is. The party is underway right now. Okay, I'm done with the 90s song references because guess what? Speaking of songs, we concluded the song of all songs yesterday with the steamy, spicy, fiery, passionate symbolism, illusions, and examples of what it looks like to be head over heels in divine love when we concluded the Song of Solomon. But now we are moving on to a new book, a very different book, but an also very important and influential book. Today, we're going to start reading the book of Isaiah, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. I'm not major in a DJ Khaled major key type of way. Major in the sense that this prophet had 66 chapters in the Bible, has 66 chapters in the Bible, which is more than all the other minor prophets combined. Well, technically, there are 67 chapters in the 12 minor prophets, but there are more verses in Isaiah. Isaiah is a long and complex book, and it covers several centuries of Israel's history. It contains some of the most beautiful and powerful poetry in the Bible, as well as some of the most challenging and controversial messages. So what is Isaiah all about? Well, the book of Isaiah is named after its main author, Isaiah, son of Amos, who was a prophet in Jerusalem during the 8th century BC. Now, he lived in a very turbulent, trying time when Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Remember this, Judah in the south and Israel in the north. Remember we talked about that, the split? Now, both kingdoms faced threats from powerful empires such as Assyria and Babylon, as well as internal problems because they were corrupt, they served idols, and they were rebellious. Now, Isaiah was called by God to speak a word to Judah and Israel, as well as to the other nations. He warned them of God's judgment for their sins, but there was a glimmer of hope. He also promised them God's salvation for their future. Isaiah had a pretty tough gig, I must say. His job was to call out these problems, to warn the people of the consequences, and to urge them to return to following God when they were doing all of that messy stuff. But as you might guess, people didn't exactly roll out the red carpet for him when they saw him coming. Prophets aren't usually the life of the party. I mean, when your pastor comes to the reception, the energy shifts a little bit, as it should, especially if he comes in telling people things they don't want to hear at the time. Can you imagine Isaiah walking into a royal feast and saying, hey, y'all need to stop living it up and start getting y'all act together or you're going to face the wrath of God? That gives a whole new meaning to the term party crasher. But despite the resistance he faced, Isaiah remained faithful to his calling. He delivered his messages with courage, conviction, and a poetic eloquence that still resonates with us today. His book is a powerful testament to his faith, his perseverance, and his deep love for his people and his God. 
Now, there's a lot more that I could say about Isaiah, but since we're going to be here for a while, I feel no need to say all of it today. We'll get to it when we get to it. I do want to tell you what else is coming up for today, though. We're going to kick off things with Isaiah, where we'll get a taste of his prophetic style. Then we're switching gears and heading over to the New Testament, where we'll hear from Paul about boasting in Christ and not ourselves. Next, we have Psalm 52, where David condemns people acting like they're all that. And then finally, Proverbs 22 comes through with some sage advice about being cautious about whom we trust. All right, as I said, we're going to be in Isaiah for a while, y'all. So let's approach this not just as a historical document or a piece of litty literature, but as a living, breathing word that speaks to us here and now in our own context, in our own struggles, in our own journey of faith. Grab your Bibles, get comfortable, or just listen to my voice. Let's get this party started, y'all. Isaiah chapters 1 and 2, God's Word Translation. This is the vision which Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw about Judah and Jerusalem at the time of King Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. The Lord accuses Israel of sin. Listen, heaven, and pay attention, earth. The Lord has spoken. I raised my children and helped them grow, but they have rebelled against me. Oxen know their owners, and donkeys know where their masters feed them. But Israel doesn't know its owner. My people don't understand who feeds them. How horrible it will be for a nation that sins. Its people are loaded down with guilt. They are descendants of evildoers and destructive children. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on Him. Why do you still want to be beaten? Why do you continue to rebel? Your whole head is infected. Your whole heart is failing. From the bottom of your feet to the top of your head, there is no healthy spot left on your body, only bruises, sores, and fresh wounds. They haven't been cleansed, bandaged, or soothed with oil. Your country is devastated. Your cities are burned down. Your fields are destroyed right before your eyes by foreigners. Your fields are devastated and taken over by foreigners. My people, Zion, are left like a hut in a vineyard, like a shack in a cucumber field, like a city under attack. If the Lord of armies hadn't left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. Israel's Corrupt Religion Listen to the Lord's word, you rulers of Sodom. Pay attention to the teachings from our God, you people of Gomorrah. The Lord asks, What do your many animal sacrifices mean to me? I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and enough fat from your fattened calves. I'm not pleased with the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. When you appear in my presence, who asked you to trample on my courtyards? Don't bring any more worthless grain offerings. Your incense is disgusting to me. So are your new moon festivals, your days of rest, holy days, and the assemblies you call. I can't stand your evil assemblies. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed festivals. They've become a burden to me and I'm tired of putting up with them. So when you stretch out your hands in prayer, I will turn my eyes away from you. Even though you offer many prayers, I will not listen because your hands are covered with blood. The Lord invites Israel to turn away from sin. Wash yourselves, become clean, get your evil deeds out of my sight, stop doing evil, learn to do good, seek justice, arrest oppressors, defend orphans, plead the case of widows. Come on now, let's discuss this, says the Lord. 
Though your sins are bright red, they will become as white as snow. Though they are dark red, they will become as white as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be destroyed by swords. The Lord has spoken. Jerusalem's Future How the faithful town has become a prostitute. She was full of justice and righteousness lived in her. But now murderers live there. Your silver is not pure, your wine is watered down, your rulers are rebels, friends with thieves. They all love bribes and run after gifts. They never defend orphans. They don't notice the widow's pleas. That's why the Lord, the Lord of armies, the mighty one of Israel says, how horrible it will be when I take revenge on my opponents. I will avenge myself against my enemies. I will turn my power against you. I will remove your impurities with bleach. I will get rid of all your impurities. I will give you judges like you had long ago, advisors like you had in the beginning. After that, you will be called the righteous city, the faithful town. Zion will be pardoned by the Lord's justice, and those who return will be pardoned by the Lord's righteousness. Rebels and sinners will be crushed at the same time, and those who abandon the Lord will come to an end. You will be ashamed of the oaks that you wanted to worship and embarrassed by the garden that you have chosen for your gods. You will be like an oak whose leaves wither and like a garden without water. Strong people will become tender for a fire, and their work will be the spark. Both of them will burn together, and there will be no one to put out the fire. The Lord will teach the nations. This is the message which Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw about Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established as the highest of the mountains and raised above the hills. All the nations will stream to it. Then many people will come and say, Let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may live by them. The teachings will go out from Zion. The Lord's word will go out from Jerusalem. Then he will judge disputes between nations and settle arguments between many people. They will hammer their swords into plow blades and their spears into pruning shears. Nations will never fight against each other and they will never train for war again. Come, descendants of Jacob, let's live in the light of the Lord. Israel's Sins Lord, you have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob, because they are filled with Eastern influences. They are fortune tellers like the Philistines, and they make deals with foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols, and they worship what their hands have shaped and what their fingers have molded. People will be brought down. Everyone will be humbled. Do not forgive them. Go in among the rocks and hide underground because of the Lord's terrifying presence and the honor of his majesty. The eyes of arrogant people will be humbled. High and mighty people will be brought down. On that day, the Lord alone will be honored. The day of the Lord's judgment. 
The Lord of armies will have his day against all who are arrogant and conceited, and all who are proud of themselves. They will be humbled against all the towering and mighty cedars of Lebanon, and all the oaks of Bashan, against all the high mountains and all the lofty hills, against every high tower and every fortified wall, against all the large ships of Tarshish and all the beautiful boats. Then arrogant people will be brought down, and high and mighty people will be humbled. On that day, the Lord alone will be honored. Then idols will disappear completely. People will go into caves in the rocks and into holes in the ground because of the Lord's terrifying presence and the honor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. On that day, people will throw to the moles and the bats the silver and gold idols that they made for themselves to worship. They will go into caves in the rocks and into cracks in the cliffs because of the Lord's terrifying presence and the honor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Stop trusting people. Their life is in their nostrils. How can they be worth anything? 2 Corinthians chapter 10 Paul's authority to speak forcefully I, Paul, make my appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. I'm the one who is humble when I'm with you, but forceful toward you when I'm not with you. I beg you that when I am with you, I won't have to deal forcefully with you. I expect I will have to because some people think that we are only guided by human motives. Of course we are human, but we don't fight like humans. The weapons we use in our fight are not made by humans. Rather, they are powerful weapons from God. With them, we destroy people's defenses, that is, their arguments, and all their intellectual arrogance that oppose the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive so that it is obedient to Christ. We are ready to punish every act of disobedience when you have become completely obedient. Look at the plain facts. If anyone is confident he belongs to Christ, he should take note that we also belong to Christ. So, if I brag a little too much about the authority which the Lord gave us, I'm not ashamed. The Lord gave us this authority to help you, not to hurt you. I don't want you to think that I'm trying to frighten you with my letters. I know that someone is saying that my letters are powerful and strong, but that I'm a weakling and a terrible speaker. The person who is saying those things should take note of this fact. When we are with you, we will do the things that we wrote about in our letters when we weren't with you. Paul's reason for bragging. We wouldn't put ourselves in the same class with or compare ourselves to those who are bold enough to make their own recommendations. Certainly, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves to themselves, they show how foolish they are. How can we brag about things that no one can evaluate? Instead, we will only brag about what God has given us to do, coming to the city of Corinth where you live. It's not as though we hadn't already been to Corinth. We're not overstating the facts. The fact is that we were the first to arrive in Corinth with the good news about Christ. How can we brag about things done by others that can't be evaluated? We have confidence that as your faith grows, you will think enough of us to give us the help we need to carry out our assignment, spreading the good news in the regions far beyond you. We won't brag about things already accomplished by someone else. Whoever brags should brag about what the Lord has done. It isn't the person who makes his own recommendation who receives approval, but the person whom the Lord recommends. Psalm 52 for the choir director, Amaskil, a psalm by David when Doeg, 
who was from Edom, told Saul that David had come to Ahimelech's home. Why do you brag about the evil you've done, you hero? The mercy of God lasts all day long. Your tongue makes up threats. It's like a sharp razor, you master of deceit. You prefer evil to good. You prefer lying to speaking the truth. Salah. You love every destructive accusation, you deceitful tongue. But God will ruin you forever. He will grab you and drag you out of your tent. He will pull your roots out of this world of the living. Salah. Righteous people will see this and be struck with fear. They will laugh at you and say, Look at this person who refused to make God his fortress. Instead, he trusted his great wealth and became strong through his greed. But I am like a large olive tree in God's house. I trust the mercy of God forever and ever. I will give thanks to you forever for what you have done. In the presence of your godly people, I will wait with hope in your good name. Proverbs chapter 22 verses 26 and 27. Do not be found among those who make deals with a handshake, among those who guarantee other people's loans. If you have no money to pay back a loan, why should your bed be repossessed? Let's pray, y'all. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom and your worthiness. Lord, on this Friday, we thank you for the weekend. We thank you for all of our wins this week and even for the warm weather we've had. We thank you for that bright morning star that we call the sun that keeps us warm. We thank you for even the change in seasons and for the way they so often seem to align and coincide with the transitions in scripture we experience from the sultry, sensual, and sacred song of Solomon to the inspiring, instructive, and insightful Isaiah. Lord, we thank you for continually revealing yourself to us through your word, through your prophets, through your promises, and through the Prince of Peace, your Son and our Savior. Lord, we are just in a grateful mood today, and we thank you for freedom, the freedom that we find in you, for family and for fellowship. We thank you for good food, for enough food. Lord, we thank you for fun and we thank you for the future that you are preparing for us in heaven. Lord, it's looking mighty fine from down here. Lord, we ask you to help us to heed your word, to honor your will and to humble our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would protect us from peril, from pressure and from pride. And when we experience pain, we ask that you would guide us through with your grace, your goodness, and your glory. Lord, we praise you for who you are, for what you've done, and for what you're going to do. Lord, we praise you for your power, your presence, and for your never-ending patience with us. Lord, we love you, we trust you, and we worship you. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, our Rescuer and our Redeemer, and all the people of God said together, Amen. And our affirmation for today, I love to hear the sound of my feet. The sound of my feet is the sound of my freedom, the sound of my courage, the sound of my wisdom, the sound of my feet is the sound of my healing, the sound of my growth, the sound of me kneeling, the sound of my feet, it's the sound of my choice, the sound of my voice, the sound of my joy. The sound of my feet is the sound of my peace, the sound of my release, the sound of my increase. The sound of my feet is the sound of me walking away from what no longer serves me. 
and our aphorism, use the weekend to build the life you want instead of trying to escape the life you have. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for being on this extraordinary expedition with me. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I love you. And if God says the same, I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.